Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Hello and welcome to Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Liu Xin. In this series, I dissect stories that are making headlines around the world and talk to my guests to compensate for the missing pieces of the puzzle. Today, our focus is on the economy. Last Wednesday, the president of Ghana, Kufuado, delivered an address to the UN General Assembly's debate. He said, it is doubtful that any generation of Earth's inhabitants has ever witnessed such a perfect storm of global economic chaos, a war with global consequences and an unwillingness or inability to find a consensus to deal with the catastrophe. Although he was speaking mainly about the need for African countries, the same could also be applied to other countries. Due to the fallout from COVID-19, a global economic slowdown and the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, economic pain is being felt right across the world. According to Sarah Johnson, Executive Director of Economic Research at S&P Global Market Intelligence, recognizing that high inflation will not quietly go away, the world's major central banks are toughening up their policies and the economic outlook for next year has also dimmed. The Financial Times, citing data from the Institute of International Finance, recently reported that foreign investors have pulled funds out of emerging markets for five consecutive months in the longest streak of withdrawals on record. By any measure, this is much-needed capital that is fleeing foreign markets towards the United States. Multiple currencies, including the British pound, have plummeted against the dollar, some to lows not seen in decades. Many of the world's poorer countries are confronting mounting problems, while others, most notably Sri Lanka, Lebanon and Zambia, have already defaulted on their public debts in recent years. But now, once again, China is being blamed for the worsening situation. In a recent interview with Bloomberg News, World Bank President David Malpass said that China is unwilling to deliver more stimulus during the current international slowdown. That may be good for their economy and good for the long run, he added, but it means for the world you've got the number two economy that's not really jumping forward, that puts more burden on the U.S. Huh? Does he really think that? Not surprisingly, the reaction from Beijing was swift. Take a listen. To resolve staggering inflation in the U.S., the Federal Reserve has resorted to rate hikes several times. The rapid appreciation of the U.S. dollar has led to the depreciation of 36 currencies by at least one-tenth. This has left many developing countries in a bitter economic recession. The way to gauge the extent of the dollar's appreciation is by comparing to a basket of currencies of the major trading nations. The U.S. dollar has risen to the highest point in recent decades. It has witnessed a considerable increase against the British pound, euro and Japanese yen in the past year. A high number of governments we know gets loans in the U.S. currency. That's why the dollar strength has proven to be a major headache for those borrowers, especially when the debt makes up for a huge part of their GDP. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary John Connolly is quoted as saying, the dollar is our currency, but it's your problem. 
Last Friday, China released its economic figures for August, recording better-than-expected growth and maintaining strong momentum since July. Retail sales, for instance, have grown by 5% in August, a year-on-year -year higher than the prior month. It's also higher than market expectations. Meanwhile, industrial outputs rose over 4% last month, also higher than July. The better-than-expected data follows steps the country has taken to shore up its economy. Last month, the State Council announced 19 policy changes to strengthen a support package already in place. So how is the Western media reporting on these turbulent times? CNBC published an article titled, For the first time in 30 years, Asia's developing economies are set to grow faster than China's, the Asia Development Bank, or ADB, says. The article says in the first paragraph, according to the ADB's 2022 Development Outlook update, Asia's developing economies may be showing signs of recovery, but it has cut its growth forecast for them yet again thanks to China's prolonged zero-COVID policy. If you read through the article, you have the impression that China is the main cause dragging down the economic development of Asia. However, according to the original update published by the ADB, China is not the only reason. Rather, the dim outlook is shaped by a slowing global economy, the fallout from the war in Ukraine, more aggressive monetary tightening in advanced economies and lockdowns resulting from China's zero-COVID strategy. Even CNBC acknowledged late in the article that regional central banks are raising their policy rates, which is contributing to tighter financial conditions amid a dimmer growth for the world and accelerated monetary tightening by the U.S. Fed. Now, let's take a look at some reports on the mounting debt crisis, especially for the poorer nations. So does China deserve the blame here? There is this Reuters report. U.S. Treasury official criticizes China's unconventional debt practices. The article says a top advisor to U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned on Tuesday that China's foot dragging on debt relief could burden dozens of low- and middle-income countries with years of debt servicing problem, lower growth and underinvestment. An NPR report takes the accusation even further. It published an article titled an economic perfect storm is battering emerging markets, debt crises loom. The article asserts another thing making 2022 different from global economic crises of the past is the role of China as a major lender. A significant portion of the debt now owed by low and middle income countries is owed to Beijing and much of that debt has come under part of China's ambitious Belt and Road infrastructure program. Again, the same old rhetoric. China is one of the biggest lenders, but does it mean China really brings the debt crisis? According to the National Bureau of Statistics, China's average contribution to global economic growth exceeded 30% during the 2013-2021 period, ranking first across the world. China's GDP expanded at an average annual rate of 6.6% during the same period of time, much higher than the average rate of the global economy and higher than for developing economies.
As to the claim that China has been dragging its feet on debt relief, last month, China announced the waiving of 23 interest-free loans for 17 African countries that had matured at the end of 2021. This was little talked about on the mainstream media. So you might ask, where does the risk come from? A comprehensive new study by the World Bank in mid-September warned that as central banks across the world simultaneously hike interest rates in response to inflation, the world may be edging towards a global recession next year and a string of financial crises in the emerging markets and developing economies. With the US dollar in its 20-year high, the currency depreciation and international capital outflow from developing countries accelerates raising the costs of paying debts. As a recent article published by the New York Times suggests, the dollar is strong. That is good for the US, but bad for the world. Of course, media coverage on China isn't all bad. Some have reported on some good signs that Chinese companies are doing well in overseas markets. The Telegraph reported on a Chinese car brand preparing a first major entry into the UK market. Bloomberg News tells us China's Pinduoduo, the world's largest agri-focused tech platform, is set to enter the US market its first international step. And Automotive News Europe reports the Chinese multinational automobile manufacturer Neil is taking on BMW, Mercedes in Europe with a flexible battery plan. So, despite some good news, is China to blame for the crisis that are looming at the moment? I'm pleased to be joined online by three panelists. They are Mr. Hussein Azkari, Vice President of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden, joining us from Stockholm. He's joining us at five o'clock in the morning, so really appreciate that. Um, Kiwi Tan, who is founder of uh, Waveney Economics, a business consulting company based in Singapore. He's joining us from Singapore. And Professor John Gong, who is Vice President of Research and Strategy of uh, the uh, University University of International Business and Economics, Israel. He's joining us from Beijing. Gentlemen, welcome to the uh, Headline Buster. So, uh, Mr. Askari, let me go to you first. You know, one of the big questions here is who's to blame for the economic uh, slowdown that we're seeing? Is China doing enough or is China not doing enough? What is your take? Thank you very much for inviting me to this great show. Uh, uh, I start from the statement by the president of Ghana you cited in the beginning. Uh, we are really in the in a perfect storm, uh, but the center, the eye of the storm is not in Africa or in Asia. It's in the transatlantic area. The reason is that we have built up here in the West a financial and monetary bubble of the size of three quadrillion dollars. And all the solutions that are being proposed by the central banks, by the Federal Reserve, by the Central Bank of Europe and other central banks, uh, just worsening the case because we have a system since 1971 when the Bretton Woods system was uh, abolished and uh, dollar was decoupled from gold and money started to have its own life, which is completely decoupled from the physical realities of the economy, of production, of work, of progress and industrialization. When President Nixon uh, took the decision in August 1971, we created a completely new system, which has nothing to do with economic development or progress of society or industrialization. With the oil crisis in 1973 and the invention of the euro dollar, 
most commodities in the world became uh, priced in dollar, and the, the, all nations who needed to buy expensive uh, oil and gas and the commodities had to buy it through dollar. But what we have had through financial deregulation and monetary deregulation in the West, we had a situation where financial, private financial institutions and banks supported by the central bank started to create their own money through financial instruments like derivatives and taking money, real money from the productive economy more and more into speculative economy because you could make more profit there than investing in infrastructure, industry, healthcare, education, and space programs and so on and so forth. So we have created the history's greatest financial bubble, which now has affected most countries in the world because we have a printing money, a money printing machine since 2008, a global financial crisis, it has not stopped and it's increasing. Yeah, I would like to get uh, the uh, the take from uh, the other two guests as well. Professor Gong, for instance, uh, you also specialize in this area. Um, the criticism from the president of the World Bank, regardless where he comes from, okay, he literally talks about China not jumping forward. Maybe it's good for Chinese economy or for the long run, but it's not good for the United States. And Probably he's also speaking for the world as in his capacity as the president of the World Bank. What do you think of his comments and whether China should jump forward more proactively at this moment? Well, let me first say that uh, business cycles are normal. It's not something that, that has to find a culprit. I mean, look at the history of economics. Uh, you know, there are times there are economic booms, there are times of uh, economic bust. So, you know, this is a normal cycle. However, you know, there are certain things pertaining to the policy space that can be attributed to for uh, worsening the situation, for exacerbating the recession, for example, you know, uh, in the United States case, uh, the long era of low interest rates uh, and, and rounds and rounds of economic relief associated with COVID-19 um, by just, you know, this money printing scheme ultimately leads today's uh, inflationary picture. Having said that, regarding the uh, the statement from the from Mr. Malpass, um, I think he, you know, there's two parts in his statement. One is the, the based on a factual assessment, which is totally untrue in my view. Second is his acquisition. He said that China doesn't do enough in terms of stimulating its economy. That's totally untrue. China has a active fiscal policy in place in terms of injecting um, uh, plans for infrastructure, continued infrastructure build-outs in China. Now, having you know, granted that you know, in certain cities in China, uh, these um, policies have been constrained by the COVID uh, situation. Uh, that's also a fact. But overall, the Chinese government has a active fiscal policy in place. Um, and usually the effect of this fiscal policy takes a little bit more time to percolate down to uh, people's uh, pockets uh, and, and stimulate consumption side and demand side. So, you know, the fact, I mean, the statement that China is not doing enough in terms of fiscal policy is totally untrue. The, the opposite is true, in fact. Second, the, the acquisition that um, the blame is placed on China because China is not doing enough also dispose the, the, the assessment of what are the ultimate reasons for the current global economic problem. In my view, it's mostly about overheating uh, in the U.S. economy and also the undersupply on the, in the European Union side uh, as related to this war in Ukraine, as related to um, you know, high energy prices in China, however. It's the opposite. 
we are actually uh, having a problem of inadequate demand. And, and my assessment is that the inadequate demand issue usually should not be a problem um, after a major pandemic, if history serves any precedent okay. to learn from. Uh, thank you, John. Let me get the uh, take from Mr. Tan, uh, looking from the perspective of uh, Southeast Asian countries. I mean, um, some people are talking about, you know, look, Southeast Asia is doing fine. Southeast Asia is probably going to do better next year compared to China, for instance, and that China's policy, whether it's economic stimulus or China's uh, COVID policy, is uh, the damper on the situation. What is your take? Well, I, I come from Singapore, so I, 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 I can just speak plainly. Besides the strong U.S. dollar, the U.S. West has another powerful weapon, which is the global media. And I would say, if, just ignore them. Because, see, during the Lehman Brothers crisis, China did a lot to stimulate itself. Now, right now, China may not be doing that. Maybe because they think that the safety of its own people through COVID is more important that you shouldn't be telling another country what to do if China feels that the safety and health of Chinese are more important than stimulus, so be it. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, but, you know, I mean, people's lives is precious. You know, once you, you lose that, there's no way to get it back. Once, you, you know, if you have uh, a relative tight period of, uh, you know, days financially, you can still work on it, but lives cannot uh, be brought back. Mr. Mr. Askari, what is your take on the very delicate balance between economic stimulus, economic activities and protecting people's lives? Yeah, I think the, the question of the economic stimulus, that the difference between what, what we, they call the economic stimulus here in the West and the United States is that you print money and support financial and banking institutions. It does not affect the living standards of the people. There is all the quantitative easing, which was poured like 14 trillion, 18 trillion dollars since 2008. None of it was invested in industry or in agriculture or in building infrastructure. China did issue credit equivalent to 14 to 18 trillion dollars but all that money was invested in building infrastructure in China and around the world, building industrial capacity, agriculture, research and development. So we have a qualitative difference in the term, you know, stimulus. Now, the fact is that China had a unique policy with the COVID-19, but at the same time, it was one of the first countries to recover from the, the blocking which took place due to the, to the, uh, to the lockdowns while the rest of the world keeps struggling until now, China is, has saved Europe and the United States during the COVID-19 crisis because it could produce enough materials for itself and for the rest of the world. There's no comparison between what China has done and what the, the West has done. And at the same time, we, you saved lives. Uh, we lost many lives here in the West, and uh, that's a very big, you know, important difference. Let's talk about the debt crisis. As I said, one of the reports that I uh, critiqued just now talked about an advisor to U.S. Treasury Secretary criticizing China, dragging its feet on debt relief. Uh, Professor Gong, what is the real picture? Because China said it has wavered debts from 17 African countries. So exactly what is happening? Um, well, first of all, let me say that uh, the biggest source of uh, international financing 
is still very much from these uh, international financial institutions, including the World Bank, the IEF, the IMF, the, the African Development Bank, the Asian Development Bank, these international financial institutions. Now, China being a country that initiates its own programs of financing for infrastructure build-outs in developing countries does represent a fair amount of money. But compared to the international uh, borrowing from these institutions, it's still a very much small player. Uh, let's just take the um, Sri Lanka as an example. This is actually a very good example. It is probably the example as champion as probably you know the dead trap story coming from from some parts of the Western world, including China. But if you look at the debt composition of Sri Lanka, China uh, came to comes to like third or fourth, if I remember correctly, correctly uh, among the, uh, the the amount of. Uh, Credits uh, extended to uh, the Sri Lanka government, so you know it, it doesn't even come to the top yet. Nobody's accusing uh, the World Bank setting up a debt trap. Nobody's accusing the Asian Development Bank setting a debt trap. But it's it's China. So you know I think from that perspective, it's totally unfair. Now regarding the the rat, the debt relief program, China has a history of consistently. Uh, uh, providing debt relief to the least developing countries from time to time. Um, and the amount is not insignificant, actually. So, you know, compared to uh, other countries that doesn't provide much effort at all in terms of providing this kind of financing for infrastructure build-outs in the African countries, China does that and eventually uh, uh, forgives some debt for the poorest countries. And, and yet, you know, we are still being accused. Mm. So I think uh, it's not only unfair, it's totally uh, hypocrisy. Indeed, uh, China's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs has said that Western commercial creditors and multilateral institutions have been largely absent from the global debt relief and service suspension effort, uh, and yet they're criticizing China's lack of action in terms of debt relief. But Mr. Tan, um, what's the relationship between the stronger U.S. dollar and the possible debt burden, the enlarging debt burden for especially the low and middle income countries? Is there a connection there? Oh, definitely. Uh, first of all, if those countries had borrowed U.S. dollars and then U.S. dollars goes up, they're in trouble. Okay. For instance, uh, way back in the 1997-98, a lot of Southeast Asian countries borrowed lots of US dollars and they got into trouble when the US dollar got st stronger. Now, I think for Southeast Asia now, maybe it's less. But there are still countries that probably have borrowed a lot of money recently uh, in the past few years to, to US dollars. So they are in trouble. Secondly, you know, when COVID happened, there was a time when interest rates were low. A lot of countries started to um, uh, activate the public spending. You know? And of course, when the US dollar strengthened because of high rising interest rates, all those people, like Australia, for example, their, their, their debt equity is now negative because interest rates have gone up, so they're in trouble. So, so does the logic stand that uh, because China is one of the biggest bilateral lenders, that China is responsible for the debt crisis that some countries are facing? Does the logic stand then? Oh, definitely not. Definitely. I mean, like I said, this is all uh, the, the, the soft power by the US-led media. They always banging others down, I mean. <laughs> then if there is anything that richer nations can do, that the United States can do, for instance, to help relieve the debt burden of these countries, the United States is raising, you know, its interest rates aggressively. If they really care about these lower income countries, 
Um, is there anything that they can do about it, Mr. Tan, once again? Well, they could, but uh, I think they're more concerned about their home problems first. Raising the inflation is rampant or, or growing quite strongly in the, in the States, in, in Europe. So they have to look after themselves first. I mean, if they achieve that, then they might look at uh, the lesser developed countries. Again, you see, the trouble is almost everything is priced in U.S. dollars. So when interest rate goes up, U.S. dollars strengthen, all the developing countries need to import food and everything. And of course, they get hit by rising prices. So uh, I think the U.S. will take care of themselves first, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mr. Askari, finally, do you think China will be forced to up its rate as well to deal with the situation? Yeah, first of all, let me say that the question on the debt relief, I mean, uh, according to thorough uh, research done by the uh, School of Advanced uh, International Studies at the John Hopkins University in the U.S., China is the world champion in debt relief and re debt restructuring, while the Paris Club, for example, punishes nations for being late in paying. My native country, Iraq, was a good example. In 2008, China forgave $8 billion of Iraqi old debt. Uh, so that's not... The other thing is that there is a, a qualitative difference in Chinese loans to countries than Western loans to countries. Chinese loans to countries go to build infrastructure and increase the productivity of these countries so they are able to repay their debt. Western loans go to filling in fiscal and trade deficits. So the money, as soon as it goes into the country, it disappears and it piles up and accumulates. In the case of Sri Lanka, which I researched thoroughly, uh, using uh, official documents, the largest creditor to Sri Lanka is the private international bondholders, and specifically uh, BlackRock. BlackRock holds almost private bondholders have 47% of the Sri Lankan debt, and this is short-term debt, high, uh, high uh, interest rate on it. The IMF went to Sri Lanka recently uh, to no negotiate debt relief. What they told the Sri Lankan government, and I can read to you from the IMF's press release, mm. they said that Sri Lanka, if it does not make a good deal with the private creditors, the IMF is not ready to help Sri Lanka, which means if you don't pay back the debt to BlackRock and these private Western financial, we will not help you. Mm. So the priority is not to help the Sri Lankan people, but to give the money back with interest to the private financial institutions who have trillions of dollars in, wow. in funds. Wow. Now, China is, of course, not ready to bail out those financial institutions in the West. It's interested in helping countries get out of the financial crisis by investing more, as in the Belt and Road Initiative, in infrastructure. Because, as I said, when you build infrastructure, you increase a country's capability to increase its productivity, right. and that way it can manage to pay its debt. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point. With me, Lu Xin, thank you very much. I'll see you next time on Headline Buster.